Thank you for downloading this message from Roots Community Church. We pray that you are encouraged by the word. If you're looking for more information, please visit us at rccphoenix.com. Tonight, we only have one point. Most people, uh, most most time when you come here, um, it's three or four points, right? But tonight, it's just one. So, um, and we'll, and I'm going to do something at the end that I haven't yet done here at RCC um, before. So it'll be something a little bit different here for us. So in your notes, number one, um, our one point tonight, gratitude for God, including us. Gratitude to God for including us. Our entire series has been based primarily in Colossians chapter 1. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to continue on and we're going to start in verse 18. I'll read it out loud and you can kind of follow along in your notes or in your Bible, whichever you have with you here tonight. First Colossians chapter 1, verse 18 through 22. Christ is also the head of the church, which is the body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from, our, uh, from, your e- uh, from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Now, has anybody here ever had a scenario in your life um, where you felt left out? I'm sure that's everybody, right? Everyone's had a scenario they felt left out. Um, The time where I felt left out, um, that I was thinking of during this message or when I was prepping for the message was in ninth grade, I went out for the basketball team and I didn't always used to be, you know, six, four, six, three, six, four. Um, I was, I got into school, um, right at the deadline when I was younger in kindergarten, I was actually past the deadline, but my parents were like, take him, please. And they allowed me to go in, which was good because I got school done early, but it was bad because I was always the youngest kid in my class, and that meant I was kind of like, you know, on the back end of the development curve, right? So um, in ninth grade, I was, believe it or not, about five foot five, 110 pounds, sopping wet. I was like a skeleton with a little bit of skin, floppy hair, big glasses, big shoes, and that's what it was. Uh, that's how I went and played basketball. Um, my favorite basketball player was the world champion LA Lakers, um, Magic Johnson, and he was the guy who I wanted to emulate as my basketball style because I loved the way he passed the ball. And so I always realized that if I passed the ball in a good way or creative way to these guys and they got easy shots, they were like, you rock. And so I wanted to rock all the time, so I loved passing the ball to these guys. The people on the basketball team loved playing with me in like street games and pickup games because I always wanted to pass to them. Um, but when it came to trying out for basketball, that was a different story. So I went into the, the tryouts, had a couple good behind-the-back passes, one in between two guys on a fast break, and a couple good defensive stands, and a couple good shots. And I thought, man, my school is massive. There's thousands of kids, and there's only 15 spots on the roster. But I felt like, I did pretty good today. I might have a shot. 
And so I went home, had a good night's sleep, got up, caught the bus back to school, hopped off the bus, and you probably get an email or a text message today, but how they used to tell you you made the team was they would write your name on a piece of paper or print it out and then post it on the coach's door. And I would, I, so I would get off the bus and I'd look in the distance. I saw my coach's door and I'm like, there's the paper. So I was whoo, all eager, getting up over there, trying to go and, you know, here I am. I'm going to see if I made the team, see if I'm going to get one of those cool jackets, the big old letter on it. You know, I want to go, I want one of those. I want to be on the basketball team. And I went down the list. I was like, hmm, don't really see my name there. Let me just look. Let me look again. Let me just clean these off and look a little bit closer and scroll down. I went really slow and I was like, dang it. <laughs> Name wasn't there. Name wasn't there and was like, oh man. And what does that leave you feeling like? Yeah. Oh, yes. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Jules, for passing that out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, not being chosen, next line in your notes, um, not being chosen can leave us with feelings of isolation, hurt, and lead to us questioning our own self-worth, right? Am I good enough? What was it? Was I, you know, did I do something wrong? And so, the next day, as I was talking to some of my friends who they didn't make the team either, um, and I was talking to some of the guys who did make the team, they were like, "Pool, we love you, but there's no way in the world you were making the team. And I was like, what do you mean? They're like, oh, we love playing with you. You passed the ball really good. You can totally run the offense, but uh, there's no way you're making the team. I said, why? And they go, well, because all of us who have been around for a little bit know that the coach and the assistant coach have an unwritten rule. That if you're not at least six feet, which I wasn't, and you couldn't dunk, which I couldn't, you were automatically out. And I thought, I didn't even, I went and gave all my effort. I didn't even have a shot because I didn't meet the criteria to even get in. In the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Abraham that your descendants are going to be my people. There was no other way for anyone outside of the of the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, which in the Bible, anyone who is not a Jew is a Gentile, all of them. So all of us, unless you're of Jewish descent that I don't know about, um, that we're all Gentiles in the room. <clears throat> so it was almost as if God took his piece of paper and put it on the outside of his coach's door and said, uh, descendants of Abraham, Jewish people, the nation of Israel only. These are my crew. These are the guys that I'm picking. They're my people. And so I left feeling like, oh my goodness, in that basketball, um, in my basketball trial story, I left feeling like, what could I do? And there was nothing I could do because I didn't meet the criteria. There was nothing any of us could do to become a member of God's family except Jesus steps in and then he does something that wipes out everything that used to be. He opens the door and includes us. So next line of your notes, Jesus came and opened the door for every person, including the Gentiles, to receive salvation. Now, this didn't happen. It would have been cool if it did. But it's almost like I went back to school the next day after being down from not being able to make the team. I didn't make the cut. And somebody going, pool! Check the coach's door again. There's another list up. 
and you run back to the coach's door, and yes, that other list is still there with the, the, the descendants of Abraham, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, but underneath, he's like, and I'm also taking all the Gentiles. You have an open door to get in here too. This is what Jesus did when he, when he, when he died on the cross. He spilled his blood, not just for a specific group of people, but so that the door could be open for all of us to be included. We didn't have a way in until Jesus kicked that door open for us. And Paul explains that in Colossians chapter 1, verses 25. Um, he says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you an assurance of sharing His glory. When God open the door through Jesus, we have faith in Him, we get to be included on His team. We're on His roster. We're part of His family. He gave us a way to be included. <clears throat> this is all well and good, but as I was going through this, uh, the, the message this week, I got hung up on a certain part of that first passage of Scripture we read. I got hung up on it. And let me tell you what, what little part I got, up, I, I got hung up on. It said, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who are once far away from God. Yes, I was far away from God. But these next four words wrecked me. For you were his enemy. Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. I looked up that word enemy in the original language and it means hateful or hostile opposition towards. When we were God's enemy doing our own thing, we were acting in hateful and hostile opposition towards Him. <clears throat> now, go back to elementary school. All the kids are out there on the yard, they're in PE, they're in recess or whatever, and they're picking, dodge, or they're, they're picking dodgeball or kickball teams, right? They're picking kickball teams. And you need a certain number of people on every team, and you get to be one of the captains. All right. Bag of bones, floppy-haired kid with the glasses gets to be the captain? Yes. So then you're going through and you see all your friends and you're picking this one and that one and this one and that one. And then the people start to thin out. There's only a few left. And then you see Johnny. <laughs> Little Johnny. That kid who drove you nuts. That kid who no matter what you did, he was always mean to you. He was always rude to you. He always would come by and pull your hair or pinch you when the teacher wasn't looking or knock your books off the desk. Or you would say, hey guys, let's play, you know, let's play go fish. And he'd be like, forget it, let's play poker or whatever. You know, he was always in opposition to you. He would always say the other thing to you. And for some reason, he had it out for you and you didn't like that little kid Johnny. So if it was Johnny, I'm not sure how you would act, but if it was me, I would do this. And this is terrible, but this is just honest. 
I would say, all right, who am I picking next for my team? Johnny. Psych! That's an old word, right? Psych! Not you, Johnny. I'm going to take Susie, who just had leg surgery. Come over here. You know what I mean? I don't want Johnny for any reason. I don't want, I'm not picking him. I would announce the next person I was taking. I'm going to be taking Jimmy, whose name is not Johnny. Stay over there, Johnny, because I didn't want that little sucker on my team. Because why? He was always opposing me. He was like my arch rival, my enemy, right? For us, it's kind of a funny way to describe what happens when the person in charge, what would they naturally do to their enemy? They would constantly leave them out. But Jesus died for us, not just when we were ignorant and lost. He died for us when we were his enemy. That that hit me this week. He didn't just... He didn't just, it wasn't like a Hallmark movie. I've watched a million of those already this year. <clears throat> Thank you, honey. And so we're, we're, we, watch these, we watch these Hallmark movies, and it's not like God is inside in the nicely decorated home by the fire with his children, the nation of Israel, and he looks outside through the frosted glass and says, and says oh, there's other people out there. Let me go get them. And he comes out and lets the Gentiles in. And everybody lives happily ever after. No, that's not how this works. He looks out the window and sees people who are his enemy, hatefully and hostily opposing him. Because we were doing our own thing. We were doing what we wanted. We were following the example of the flesh. We were doing everything that was selfish for us. And when we did that, we were looking at God and said, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you do. I'm going to do what I want. Who are you to tell me what to do? And I became his enemy through my disobedient actions. Yes, he died to save us, and we should be grateful for that. But he had no reason to include us. He had no reason to offer this gift to us. He needs nothing. He is all-powerful. He is omnipresent. He has no need for anything outside of what he can do for himself. There is nothing that we can give to him. Yet because the love of his nature, the na- the nature his nature is so loving, so compassionate, so merciful, so giving, what happens? He doesn't just look at the people who are lost. He looks at the people that are his enemy and says I'm going to make a bridge between me and you I'm going to do something to span the gap that you can't do for yourself you can't cross the line you can't make it here to me on your own so I'm going to look at you my enemy who is in hostile opposition to my presence my leading my 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 son my my word I'm going to still make a way for you. Gratitude thanks God for saving us. Aggressive gratitude sees that God had already chosen His people and still decided to open the door of salvation through faith in Jesus to us, His enemy. You ever thought about that? 
I was a kid who grew up in church and knew right and wrong, knew what the Bible said, got my feelings hurt. I was probably right to have them hurt with what happened. I'm not saying that there wasn't any justified reason for that, but I looked at the people who hurt me and then looked at the God they served and said, hey man, I'm going to take this out on you. I didn't stand as only an enemy and an opposition to the person who did me wrong in the church. I looked at the God they served and said, hey, they're with you, then you're my enemy too. How arrogant to stand in complete opposition and as the enemy to Almighty God. And what depth of love has to be realized and present in Him that I can't wrap my head or my heart around that He would include me, His enemy, in His grace. Yes, Jesus thought about us on the cross. You know, people say that all the time. My, my, uh, you were, oh, when he was on the cross, there's an old song from the church. When you were on, he was on the cross, you were on his mind. Yep, but guess what? You were his enemy. I was his enemy. Who loves like that? Who else do we know who would look at us and standing in opposition and say, it's better for you, not for me. It doesn't benefit me at all. It's better for you to be reconciled to me for your sake and then pay the price I can't pay to give me grace. That's the difference between gratitude that he saved me. Yes, we're grateful, but aggressive gratitude. He saved me when I was his enemy. <clears throat> I want to um, do something real quick here that I haven't done here before. I want to show you guys a quick video. It's only three minutes long, so it's not going to be a whole long <clears throat> a bit of time, but it's something that I think would be a great example for us to, um, to look at here today. Um, there, in this video, there's a, a, a bride and a groom, and a bride uh, gives her... Um, her groom after their wedding a present. See, he's uh, he's colorblind, <clears throat> and she gives him these glasses. They're called enchroma glasses, and he has never been able to really see color. And if if you don't know what colorblind really is, your eyes on a normal person who can see color, your eyes see between one and ten million different shades or hues of color. The person, the average colorblind person doesn't see 1 million to 10 million. They see 10,000 to 100,000. It's almost a 90% drop. There are three sensors in your eyes that detect blue, green, and red. There's three of them, blue, green, and red. <clears throat> and when your eye, the, the light reflects off something that's that color, your eye captures that color and sends a transmission to your brain to transmit what you're seeing so you understand. You know that the shirt I have on is red, and this is a little bit darker red, and that's a little bit of lighter red, and that's white, and that's a little tan, and then that's, you know, that's white, and that's blue. That's how you see all of that because these three sensors in your eyes operate correctly. 
But for colorblind people, most of them, there's different types of being colorblind, but for most uh, colorblind people, the, the green and the red sensor in the eye are not spaced out correctly, and they actually cross to varying degrees depending on who you are. So it's a physical problem in the sensor of the eye that doesn't allow it to transmit to the brain what the color really is. And so these enchroma glasses, what they do is through their technology and through the, what they're made of is they take out certain pieces of light and they try to basically put a divider somewhat between the green and the red. They divide those out and it allows people who could only see that, that could see colors, but that were very dull or everything was like gray or brown or dark brown or light brown, like Phoenix. Like they can only, they can only see like those kind of colors. They can only see colors like that. It allows them to, to help correct that impairment and allow them to see clearly. And so what I want you to do, and I want to show you this video it's of this girl she just got married, and they, their, their wedding's being filmed by this company. And <clears throat> they asked him, can I put this out because it's one of the best things I've ever seen. They gave him permission, and her husband's colorblind, and she gifts him with these enchroma glasses, which are wildly expensive. And I want you to real quickly just watch this, this video real quick. Got these for you. Are they glasses? Yeah. You're kidding. Skin's actually dark. <laughs> You're not pale. You're kind of tan. 
glasses are so much different. <laughs> These glasses didn't change you, though. <laughs> so it just is great. Well, that's good. His hand shaking. Don't worry. Huh? His hand is shaking. Watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. This is not a perfect example of what I want to line out for you, but it's close. The reason that it's not a um, perfect example is because <clears throat> giving your life to Christ and becoming a Christian isn't merely a worldview that you put on. It's not a lens that you look at the world through to try to find some positivity in this crazy, messed up world. It's not just a, a philosophy, a lifestyle choice with behaviors. That's not what it is. Christianity and giving your life to Christ is a heart change. So in this way, the example doesn't really mirror it correctly, but there's some things that happened when he moved from darkness to light that were similar for me that I wanted to point out. <clears throat> Letter A in your notes says this. The, it's his statement. He says they're so expensive. <clears throat> Did you notice that when she gave him the glasses, he just looked at her and he said, are you serious? They're so expensive. She paid the price for him that he couldn't pay to give something to him that only benefited him. She has no benefit from this other than being the person that loves him so much, she would pay the price to give him something that would correct him and move him from darkness into light. She didn't have the issue. She didn't need to pay the price. But her love for him dictated something needed to be done. And she operated in that love for him. Next on your notes, people who remain living in darkness don't understand what it's like to live in the light. <clears throat> and in the same way that we were lost and our, our attitude and our outlook on life was hopeless without Jesus, there was nothing that we could do to make ourselves right. There is nothing that we can do to satisfy the deep longing hole that's inside of us. Jesus steps in. And in that, and in, this is a very tiny fraction in comparison to what happens, but I think we get the point here is that Jesus did something out of an immense amount of love. He paid a price for us that we couldn't pay to move us from darkness into light. He didn't die to make bad people good. He, he died to make dead people alive and he just didn't make dead people alive he made his enemy alive when we talk about he paid the price we often think about 
him on the cross, and it was a massive price, and we should think about that. But I think we tend to overlook the fact and tend to forget that he had to live a sinless, perfect life before he died on that cross. He is the spotless lamb of God, the perfect son of God. He is the only one who could have not only, he didn't only bear the pain the gruesome torture of crucifixion until his death. He lived 33 years without sinning. And I don't want to gloss over that and pretend like that didn't take any effort because I, I don't know if I can make it a day. The price he paid not only covers our sin and takes our punishment, he goes one step further, moving us from death to life and giving us the indwelling of His Holy Spirit, which immediately begins to change us. <clears throat> what He did was so expensive. Second thing He said in there that caught my attention was, you guys can see this every day. I would say that it was a safe bet that nobody in this room got up today or maybe even in the recent future and got up and opened your eyes and looked around outside and thought, man, I'm so glad I get to see color today. <clears throat> Is it because you don't appreciate it? No, it's because if you have never been colorblind, which I think most of us probably in the room probably haven't been or haven't struggled with it, most of us, some of us may have, <clears throat> but if you haven't had the ailment, you just become used to being able to see it all the time. We were designed by God as human beings. He designed those receptors, those color cones in our eyes. He designed us to be able to translate that to our brain, to be able to see these different colors. That's how we were originally made. We were also originally designed to live with Him in relationship with Him in perfection. But sin puts us in a place of brokenness and death. And I had to ask myself a question as I was watching this video and contemplating and praying over this message. I had to ask myself a question, and that was this. Have I served the Lord so long that I become numb to His goodness? Have I walked with the Lord long enough and seen Him answer prayer and gotten used to His peace coming in times of, of torment and trial? Have I gotten used to the provision that He's made through my entire stinking life? Have I walked with Him so long that I just take for granted that I get up in the morning and I'm breathing? that He designed me to sleep and that my body would subconsciously breathe for me as I rest so that I can get up alive the next day. Have I forgotten? Has it, have I become accustomed to 
His grace and forgiveness? Do I casually talk about salvation like, yeah, I'm going to heaven, without stopping to dig in a little bit deeper and say, I can't even wrap my mind around what eternity is going to be like with Him. Next line of your notes says, people living in the light can sometimes take the gift of salvation for granted. I'm going to challenge us not to forget the goodness of the Lord in every little detail. I remember I was taking my son to school one day several years ago when he was, I think he's in middle school, and we were driving. And um, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity, if you're not here, if you don't live in Phoenix, but if you're in Phoenix, you probably know what I'm talking about. You get to see these spectacular sunrises and sunsets at different points of the year with the clouds and this pinkish, orangish color that you can't really describe. And that's where you take the camera and you take the picture and you don't put a filter on it to make it look any better because you can't possibly make it look any better. And I remember jokingly, we just looked, me and him, because he saw it and he goes, Dad, look at that. And we just had just this few seconds at a red light where we looked off on the horizon and saw the sun coming up. And I just, just kind of jokingly started clapping and said, good job, Jesus. Man, it was great. But is that, not in a joking sense, is that a true reflection and posture of my heart to look at every single thing and go, I don't want to get used to Him. I don't want to take Him for granted. <clears throat> the, last, uh, the last thing from this video that I saw, letter C, was, and it actually happens in every one of these videos that I watched. If you were drove by Panera Bread and saw a guy in the back of the, of the cafe crying this week while he was getting ready for his message, watching all these videos, that was me. Um, but in every one of these videos that I've watched over the dozens of my watch over the last several days, everybody um, compares the old and new vision. And how do they do that? They, you, you saw them do it. You're not supposed to do it. The Enchroma glasses instructions say to put them on for 10 to 15 minutes and don't take them off. But every single person looks and they're blown away with this, this, this influx of color they've never seen. And they pull it off and they put them back on and they pull them down and they go back and forth and back and forth because they're looking at what they used to see, the dull, drab, lifeless darkness and now the vivid life that they're exposed to. And they keep going back and forth, back and forth, comparing the dullness to the vibrancy that they have now. I want to encourage us as people who live in a moment, in moments of aggressive gratitude to do the next thing in your notes. Take an intentional moment to compare how we used to think and see the world with how we see things as God's child now. And that can cause us to react with aggressive gratitude. I want to show you one more video. It's a video that I... Um, that I thought when I when I saw this one, it was kind of a little bit funny to me, but it's from a, a gentleman who is also colorblind, who um, he's an older gentleman, he's in his 60s, and he's like the big, huge, tough guy, and he's the guy who um, he's the guy who um, thinks that you know nothing's really going to be 
nothing's really going to be um, uh, phase him. So he knows he's been colorblind his whole life, and he makes this whole case about how he was a pro wrestler and he's kind of a man's man, and no one's really going to, you know, kind of like kind of do anything to make him kind of get emotional. But I want you to watch his response to these glasses as well. Wait. I'm 65 years old. <laughs> I have gone 65 years without seeing color. Uh-huh. And it is more of a big deal to you guys than it is to me. <laughs> and I've seen these videos where people get emotional. And I'm not going to get emotional. That's okay. Okay. I just want to see how well they work. I have been a professional wrestler. Wait, don't put them on yet. I have been beat up by the biggest man in the world. I, I am not going to get emotional. That's okay. okay. Right. One, two, three. All right, so what, is, what do you have to do? It takes time to adjust, it says. It's totally different. <laughs> That's green. We'll <laughs> <laughs> have to get some of Harmony's books out. We'll have to do the colors. Holy smokes, huh? <laughs> Big old burly dude, been calloused by life. I've been a pro wrestler, I've seen it all, I'm 65. And yet, what does he do? He breaks down immediately when he's overwhelmed by something. <clears throat> The last letter D in your notes is this. <clears throat> no one is out of reach to God. No, how, no matter how much somebody thinks they don't need the Lord, or they're too old, or they've messed up too much, or they're calloused or jaded, they don't need this church thing that you guys do. They don't need have this relationship with Christ that you guys do. I've kind of just been set in my ways. I'm good. <clears throat> they only think that because they have not yet been brought from darkness into light. <clears throat> because as we just watched, the most callous person, the person who is so sure they don't need it, this is just more for you than it is for me. Those are his words. He experiences a new life. And it overwhelms him. My favorite part of this video, actually, yes, I'm, I like the guy and how it kind of, he's I'm not going to get emotional and then breaks down and cries, but <clears throat> my favorite part of the video is that the guy behind the camera and the people who bought the glasses weren't dissuaded by his cold statements. 
thanks, but I'm good. I don't, I'm going to, I'll take it because you guys got it for me. I'll go with you to church. Yeah, I'll listen to you tell me about what you believe, but, you know, I'll just sit here for your sake, not for mine. They realized he only resisted because he had never experienced the reality that they had. They knew what they were giving him would change his life. See, when we're transformed by Christ, our lives are transformed by Christ, we can't help but be grateful. But I want you to notice something. I've watched dozens of these videos for people like this. And I found the guy and the girl at the beginning of their life together. Young people getting married, you know, their life's just ahead of them. And the guy who's kind of on the back nine of life, right? He's closer to the end than he is the beginning. And when they were given the gift to see correctly, none of them put those things on and went, oh, that's cool, but I don't want them. Because when they experienced what they were supposed to do, when they experienced life, how they were designed to experience it, they were they had made a decision at that moment. I've been in darkness long enough and I have a remedy that will help me move from this dark, hopeless end to something that has life. It's the last line of your notes for this series, but it's one that's a challenge to us is this. Aggressive gratitude should lead us to action. Aggressive gratitude should lead us to action. And what is that action? Looking past the hard exterior of everyone else around us and saying, I'm still going to present you with the gift of life that I have been given. I'm still going to tell you where to find True joy, true happiness, true peace, true love in a way that you have not experienced it before. I'm going to tell you where you can find this because I am so grateful for the price that was given to me when I was God's enemy. I'm so grateful for the, for the, the price that Christ paid on the cross. I remember, I'm doing these things in remembrance of Him when I take communion. I am looking at everything and I don't want to get in this dull, uh, um, complacent attitude with him. I'm going to go back from time to time and go, and before him, my life was empty. But now that I've got him, now that he's moved me from death to life, now I can really live. And that makes me want to go share this good news with everyone else. See, the gratitude that we should seek is this. The gratitude we should seek from other people is the gratitude they have when they say, thank you, Dave, for telling me about Jesus. 
Thank you for continuing to love me when I acted in a way that was unlovable. Thank you for continuing to approach me when all I did was take my calloused, jaded experience and push you away. Thank you for staying the course and following Christ and continuing to tell me about Him when all I did was pretend to ignore you. Thank you for sharing Jesus with me. For those of us who can see correctly, for those of us who have given our life to Christ and are experiencing the life that only He can give, I want to challenge you that that gratitude overrun you so much that you begin to tell other people about Him. <clears throat> Matt, are you telling me you want me to go talk to these guys at my work? Mm -hmm. You don't know them. Matt, these guys, they've been, they're, they got their whole life lined out. They, they do what they do. They don't want to hear nothing about all this stuff, really. They only don't want to hear it because they haven't experienced the life that you have yet. You know what you have will change their life, their, their current life, and their eternal life life when they interact with Jesus it will change them and we should push past their resistance because we understand they haven't seen clearly yet yeah. and when you do when you do you're not going to want to give them back take that old life and leave me with Jesus <laughs>